0: it's a a distant you know it
1: will be cause it's insane. Alright, welcome to a the pick is. with Colin Westman,
2: John Otney, and Sean Lemmy. We did our first
1: episode of this new format last week. A uh, very low concept show in which one of us picks a movie we watch it and then we talk about it hmm and I guess one component is also we switch off who's hosting each week which I'm a little nervous cuz I've never <laughs> hosted a show on mildly pleased before I'm always just a foil I'm just there to add color I don't I don't know what it's like to be the, the star
2: well, I mean, it's the power of the pick. It's the, the phrase we've been using behind the scenes. <laughs> and uh, with great power comes great responsibility, as we all know. So,
1: mm-hmm. so one thing I, I kind of wish we had talked about in the first episode was kind of the origin of the pick system, which goes back to us in high school. You mm-hmm. know, we're, we're kind of developing our film fandom around that time and we were not very decisive about what movies we wanted to watch i remember there were times where we would hang out at your house john and we'd try to pick a movie It'd take us like an hour or two it It'd get to the point where we'd spend so much time trying to pick a movie that we were just like oh let's just go home Let's call it a day <laughs> i have vivid memories
0: anything. at least at one time of Sean with a bunch of dvds in his hands and then throwing them up in the air and seeing which one he caught <laughs> That's how you pick a movie <laughs> That's what we should do next time We should get like 20 DVDs and toss them in the air And see what we, we grab
1: I, I don't understand how do you decide though Which one is the one after you throw it it's in the air It's when you grab Okay so you throw them all up in the yeah. air And someone just has to reach up in the air and grab one
0: I mean chances are you're not going to grab two Yeah right?
1: well You'd be lucky if you grab not. one you probably yeah.
0: have to do it a couple of <laughs> times Maybe if you get your hands
2: covered in, like, in glue I don't know if that would work. There you, get too many. you could probably just, you know, write a bunch of movies' names on a piece of paper and, and then pull one out of a hat.
1: That's not what you did. <laughs> well, <laughs> anyways, because of our <laughs> indecisiveness, we, we set up this system where each night that we hung out and we're going to watch a movie, one of us makes a pick of the movie we have to watch no matter what this person gets to decide Mm, the power of the pick that's the power of the pick and i don't really remember what your guys's uh sort of procedures were for what movies you picked i feel like the ones i picked are kind of similar to what i picked today which were movies that no one else had seen and i had seen and i remember liking quite a bit because I was afraid to like pick a movie I hadn't seen And it's You know it's, <laughs> it's embarrassing if you pick a movie that no one else Likes and you don't even like Wow We're you
2: really know. learning about how self-conscious you are I'm
1: I'm very self-conscious That's no why idea. I don't That's why I don't host podcasts But um You know I think this show will be interesting Just because I feel like you two especially have kind of like settled into a groove as far as like you know you have your bread and butter genres and movies you like you know Sean you like the the action movies and the the blockbusters and John likes horror I don't know what I like at this point like I know I do oh, like I, I really like a lot like of
0: artsy stuff. Yeah, but I don't, it's not
1: like I see any more than you guys do at this point. I, feel I like just used know. to watch a lot of <laughs> old movies at Art House, but it's like I've kind of slacked off in the last few years.
2: Do you feel drawn to something now? Is it like, oh man, I should see more no animated films for children
1: <laughs> no not really animated. I don't know so That's i you know may, maybe I will pick more older classic movies since it's, it's I, I like those yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure I'll pick newer weirder stuff too every once in a while I don't think I'll only stick to picking movies that I've already seen
2: yeah I think John and I were both expecting a 2010s catch-up pick from you but I guess that might be a good you wouldn't idea. do it for the pick because it has to be something you've already approved uh yeah but we'll we'll see i think i, I picked
1: this one just because i bought it on blu-ray and i knew we'd be able to watch it together and
2: uh i just i just wanted to see it again i feel like we're building a lot of suspense for the reveal of what the yeah movie we haven't even is. said which is funny because i'm sure if you clicked on this you've seen the title of the movie and the title of the podcast yeah sure
1: it's uh a face in the crowd
2: like I do, but they're even more stupid than I am. (laughs) So I got to think
1: for them. One of the greatest characterizations ever put on the screen in the whole history of motion pictures. Maybe I'm just a country boy, (laughs) but if the president tries to stop me, I'll flood the White House with millions of telegrams. (laughs) Movie from 1957, directed by Ilya Kazan. Leave the film debut of uh, Andy Griffith, and kind of the last time he was in a movie in a big way. Uh, uh, waitress, to waitress. He probably has like third billing in that. Wow. I mean, we count like has 2008. It, yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> took, it took him a while to, was a second, to get back was up second there. Second film appearance. Yeah, I mean that's not entirely true, but I don't know. It's just surprising to me that. This movie didn't kind of launch him into superstardom. I I think I watched the trailer for this movie, like the original one. And it kind of billed it as, like, because it was directed by Ilya Kazan, who jump-started the careers of both Marlon Brando and, to an extent, James Dean. They were like, well, Andy Griffiths is the third in this line of... (laughs) uh you know method actors that will change the face of cinema but that it, it didn't work out that way um
2: wait, wait wait so you're saying he directed what rebel without a cause
1: he directed east of eden east
2: of eden Uh-oh. and
1: for brando he did uh, a streetcar named a desire streetcar. okay and on the waterfront
2: and on the waterfront yeah Both? you don't know
1: this You've I don't know seen these, on the waterfront. I don't know who
2: these people are. Okay well, I'm I'm the audience me. surrogate remember I'm the layman who likes action movies. That's Sean's the true. guy who's like, you're
0: probably
1: wondering how I got here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I know I, I've probably watched a lot more black and white movies than you guys, but I feel like you you know the classics you seem pretty well well versed in them. you've seen all the the basics like most of the AFI top 100 american movies
2: yeah i don't just like remember everything about all of them that's true all right and also this is not just for us i know we've we've got that great fly on a wall feel on this podcast but
1: (laughs) just just a bunch of friends talking movies that's not the feel we're going for but it's it's
2: okay to be like not just say a name you can be like the guy who directed this and this
1: oh yeah exactly I think those are literally all of the films of Elia Kazan's <laughs> I've oh,
2: seen. We've done it.
1: He directed a movie that won Best Picture called Gentleman's Agreement, which Ooh. I don't feel like is one of those Best Picture movies that has kind of lived on as a classic. I think it's all right.
2: I don't know. It sounds like it could be about something problematic.
1: It's about anti-Semitism. Ooh. So,
2: in a good way or a bad in, way? In a good way.
1: Yeah. <laughs> What, are Can't you asking? Too sure about are you asking the if period. the movie is
2: anti-Semitic?
1: Yeah, <laughs> no, I think it's about characters dealing with anti-Semitism.
2: Anti anti-Semitism. That... Yeah,
1: it's a, that. That's right. And <laughs> okay, so for for you and the listener, maybe we should talk about the background of this movie since. Uh... Yeah. I, I know this is maybe an alienating second pick, but I guess after Olympus has fallen I was like, maybe we should just watch a movie that I know is good.
0: London is fallen. What? They said I said London is fallen is a good movie. I know. We caught part of it on uh, TV <laughs> a couple nights it. ago. Yeah. Yeah, you were sleeping. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, it was bad.
1: Yeah, it's not. As Sean surprising. explained, that
0: all the exciting stuff happens in the beginning when
2: everything falls, and then it's just Jarb Butler creeping around for like an hour.
1: Yeah,
2: in a good way. He's killing terrorists. He's not like <laughs> looking in the ladies' locker room.
0: It's <laughs> a <laughs> perfect time. Don't expect me to do
2: it now.
1: I'd watch that movie. Um, so, anyways, yeah, Ilya Kazan. He came out of the. the uh, he's he's known for being an actor's director. He came out of the sort of New York method scene I guess in the, in the 30s and 40s uh, which is why he has that connection to Brando. He I believe directed A Streetcar Named Desire on Broadway before adapting it mm-hmm. into a movie um, which was in 1951 uh, which is also around the time that he gets called before the House of Un-American Activities Committee. This is a thing that plagued a lot of the rest of his career where this was around the time of McCarthyism, the the Red Scare, and, and you know Americans just being paranoid about who and who is not a communist. And they kind of turned their sights on Hollywood. A lot of people got called to testify before HUAC, and Ilya Kazan was one of those people. He named names of, of people he knew that were involved in in the Communist Party. He himself, I think onto rallies or meetings or something but then he kind of lost interest in it it, it you know it's just like a thing he was he was experimenting with but wasn't that excited about um, but that kind of created a stigma about him because you know a lot of people they they lost their careers because of that but at the same time later cuz i would say well all the names i gave they already had anyways and I think for him, the deal was basically that he would have a very hard time making movies if he didn't cooperate, just because, I don't know, HUAC, I guess, just had this much power over, over the Hollywood establishment this time. Also, um, Bud Schulberg, the writer of this movie, also named names, and they both were a bit ostracized in Hollywood, which I think kind of led to their connection a bit, I think Schulberg uh, wrote a letter to Ilya Kazan just saying, like, I know what you're going through, man. (laughs) Um, This is such a weird thing for me because we now live in kind of the era of, you know, us judging whether filmmakers or actors are good people or not. Mm -hmm. But this is such a specific thing to this period in America that it's not really, like, applicable that much to to today it's not like if you hear that a a writer or or filmmaker was like racist or treated women poorly it's like he he named names of people he knew that were communists
2: it's well it's also a pretty big difference that in the 50s you're talking about Um, A small faction of people within the government abusing their power to prosecute people they don't like.
1: I mean, it's a—it's just a whole shitty situation overall. So it's like—it's not like he went out of his way to betray the the loyalty of his peers. It's just he kind of got cornered, and you could still say, well, he could have just not said anything since that's what a lot of people did. But
2: yeah, uh, I—you know—it's—it's tough. Uh, it that sounds shitty, yeah. like a bad, bad situation to be in. <laughs> it is very easy to be like, well, why didn't you just do the perfect right thing? But everyone can say that when they're not in the situation like that.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people have commented that on the waterfront kind of was influenced by that perhaps because it is a movie kind of about loyalties and unions and kind of moral gray areas um mm, fucked up career yeah <laughs> but uh that movie be one best picture one i don't know a bunch of oscars for marlon brand i'm guessing because i'm probably one best director too i think he directed a couple other movies after that and then three years later in in 57 uh writes this script a face in the crowd about um this sort of entertainer who gets into politics who becomes a swayer of opinion who's just this big media personality in an age when that's sort of i don't know becoming a thing where someone's like a star on radio television in commercials there are a few people i think that that the character of uh, lonesome roads is based on it i mean they mention will rogers in the movie itself and then another guy is this tv personality called arthur godfrey who was a radio guy then he switched to television he supposedly like was pretty shitty too <laughs> everybody who, who worked for him. And he, I think at one point, he basically fired a, a very popular singer who was on his show, like on the air, which the guy didn't expect. And then he got a lot of bad press because of that. And there's kind of a similar moment in a face of the crowd. I mean, the, the climax, basically, <laughs> where you see that this guy who seems like just just an everyman who, who everybody loves is actually kind of... A piece of shit. <laughs> um,
2: yeah. So, should we talk more about the plot in in specific detail, or sure? Why not? You know, I just leave it at that broad overview you gave.
1: No, uh, we can talk about the plot. I think that's a good thing. Okay. Do you want to d- recap the plot? You're you're such a plot <laughs> master. It man. went really
2: bad with the with the last one. I'll try. Um, All right. So, the movie opens in a jail cell, um, where uh, Patricia Neal Yep <laughs> uh, Is playing a, a radio host For a show called um, A Face in the Crowd And she's looking for I think just stories But mm-hmm. uh, Just like about regular people It's like This American Life but for rednecks <laughs> <laughs> Yeah it's in Arkansas So um, So uh, and one of the people uh, In the jail cell In fact the only one who's not Clamoring for attention uh is is andy griffith's character uh who has a real first name that i don't remember i think it's larry larry yeah larry rhodes larry rhodes um who is offered a um a shortened sentence in his jail time if he performs for for the radio and so he uh, plays a song on his guitar that's kind of like a fuck you to the warden and his, sis- and his whole situation um, that uh, he doesn't even know is being recorded because uh, he thinks he's just warming up. Um, but as soon as Patricia Neal's got that recorded, she's out of there. And then they play it on the radio, and it's a huge hit. And so she has to go back and find him. And she convinces him to take a job at their radio station in Arkansas, which is just a small local radio station at the time so far so good
1: <laughs> oh, sounds good to me
2: <laughs> um and from there it it becomes uh you know the guy just keeps failing upwards i guess he uh goes to Mem- memphis sounds yeah um it's in tennessee
0: does he do his radio show first in Arkansas? Right, he does his radio yeah. show first, and all first. the rednecks in town are like, "I agree with this <laughs> guy," even though I can never really follow what he's talking about. Yeah, there's the part like a
2: rambling thing. There's the part where he's like, you know, housewives, you get a bad rap because your husbands are never around when you're like scrubbing out the oven during the day. And then cut to, like, this old woman who's, like, literally scrubbing at her up. And she's like, how does he know about that? And and what's that
0: thing about, like, the mayor can't be the mayor, like, unless he can, like, also be, like, the dog catcher or something?
2: Yeah, that part is weird. So (laughs) he says that uh, the warden of the jail, or the sheriff, whatever, uh, not warden of a prison, the sheriff, he's running for mayor. And it's, like, a sure thing. Um, and, And Lonesome's not happy about that. Um, and so he makes fun of him on the radio And then tells everyone to just Drop off spare dogs they have In the guy's <laughs> yard And they show the scene And there are just like A hundred dogs in this guy in this guy's yard Like every single person in town Had an extra dog that they did not need mm-hmm.
0: It's Arkansas And it destroys his career I guess <laughs> <laughs> Pretty embarrassing
2: But it makes Lonesome's career So he gets to go to Memphis um, Where they put him on TV yeah. I think local TV. And, and yeah, and he keeps just failing upwards until he's one of the most important members of the American media.
0: Yeah, and I, this show's weird. So you mentioned Arthur Godfrey, and I also see here that. Um, Uh, Tennessee Ernie Ford was also an inspiration who I only know from a Simpsons joke a couple
1: of Simpsons (laughs) what is the Simpsons joke? Uh,
0: well there's one episode of the Simpsons where they go to what's that place Branford, Missouri the place that's like that you know that town in Missouri that's like shitty Las Vegas Anyways, Branson. Branson. That's Branson. They go to Branson, Missouri, and there's this shit. They go to this show that's called like I Remember, and it's full of like old timey like stars. Like, oh, remember me? Mm -hmm. And Grandpa Simpson runs into uh, Tennessee Ernie Ford. He's like, Hey, I know you're dead. No, you just think I am. No, I was your biggest fan. I clipped your obituary. And he goes, and then he turns into dust. (laughs) He died in the early '90s. Um, But another folksy guy. But that made me wonder, like. It was so weird to see a movie from the 50s where a guy could go on TV and just kind of ramble and, like, kind of play songs. Like, going into this, I thought he was going to be a musician. Right. yeah. Mm. But he's really more of just, like, a storyteller, if that. I don't even mm. know if his stories make sense. But were these guys, like Arthur Godfrey, Tessie Ernie Ford, is that what they did? It was Is it really this loose, or is this more of just kind of embellishment from Bud Schulberg? Sh- is it that kind of his own creation, this character, like... I guess I'm wondering how close is this character to these act- these actual influences? I, I don't know. Probably not that. No way. There. This yeah. was. I feel like we'd
2: know. I don't think anyone's doing it. Uh, you know, off the cuff like we see early on in this movie. I'm yeah. sure they were all doing what we see later, where it's tightly scripted and focus tested. Because
0: Lonesome will just say the first thing that comes off the top of his head, and he'll like scream it, and they'll just like. <laughs> He'll like go way up close to the camera, or like walk around the camera. It mm-hmm. just he just does his own
1: thing. And uh, I mean, you do have to take into consideration that this is kind of a period where, like, TV is sort of the Wild West. Like, yeah. there wasn't set formats. I mean, a lot of shows were variety shows, but it, it's you know. TV had barely been a thing for 10 years at this point. Mm-hmm. And so it, it is kind of like they're just making, up it, making it up as they go along. I feel like a lot of TV in its heyday was all live, so but perhaps there was a more off-the-cuff element to it, but probably not to the extent of, of Lonesome in the, the earlier broadcasts in this, in this movie.
2: Uh, so as Lonesome continues to become... Uh more successful in memphis he eventually gets the opportunity to go to uh, new york and become a nationally broadcasted television program and this opens up a lot of doors for him he gets to start meeting like I, this guy he calls the general I, I assume some sort of former general but obviously a very wealthy um sort of one percenter type person <laughs> is what we call him now you know uh uh, an oligarch type figure who is interested in steering American politics, mm-hmm. and, and around the same time, uh, Patricia Neal's character is starting to turn on him because she sees that um, his devil may care attitude is giving way to someone who super duper cares about what everyone thinks of him and maintaining his image and his power uh, and his influence. And so that's sort of where the second half of the movie goes, is um, are the two of them going to be able to reconcile? There's obviously uh, some romantic tension between them because you can't have a movie with a male and female lead and not have be at, at least a little romantic tension. Yeah. Um, and secrets are revealed, and, and it, it goes places. I'll give the movie that.
1: Yeah. It, and it also kind of gets into, well, it becomes this sort of ad- spokesman also where it's kind of skewering Madison Avenue at that point. He becomes a
0: spokesman for VitaJex. For
1: which is I guess (laughs) Viagra.
0: (laughs) It's weird because it seems like he invents what it does. Yeah. Like it already exists but then he's like he pretends you know he takes one and he's like oh man now I feel like chasing women and stuff. So it's like, what did it? What was the original intention for that product? I don't
1: know. It's just supposed to make you feel good. But I now it's like it makes you horny. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and there's you see some commercials, and my favorite being that woman who has one like a bottle of it by her nightstand, and it's huge. say it's, <laughs> it's the hundred pack or whatever, but it's like it's the size a of a small it's child. Hold thousands.
2: <laughs> so people
0: are just so horny, man. Yeah. That's what it's doing.
2: And of course, the, that ironically is following him. Rocketing to success by fighting against his advertisers in Memphis, the, the mattress company, where he wouldn't read their copy and he didn't want to work with them. And then all of a sudden he gets to a national advertising campaign and he's like literally coming up with the copy for them. <laughs> I <I'm laughs> invited just actually works. Yeah, I know. It <laughs> gives you so much energy. Yeah. What should, what should we talk about next? Performances, the, the script, the themes. I don't know. I think the performances are interesting to talk about. Yeah. Uh, I really wanted to get Patricia Neal's name right because I feel like hers is the standout performance in the film.
1: Yeah, that was a kind of a, a, a treat for me because I'd only seen this movie maybe five or six years ago, and it's like, of course, the thing that's going to stand out in my mind is Andy Griffith's performance as Lysa Rhodes because it's such a loud, sort of showy performance and i yeah i just completely forgot about patricia deal but she's she's so good she's really just subtle and you know there's an intelligence behind the character and a like a kind of sincerity too because she she clearly has feelings for lonesome but is also very skeptical of his ambitions it's just yeah it's a very nuanced character which is a great foil to a another character that isn't very nuanced at all but it's still like fascinating because of what happens to him
2: yeah i feel like she's the one who's making the choices uh i think i mean the movie does end and and begin with her so in a way she's the main character but definitely not dominating the screen time um and and she plays the uh the way she agonizes over like every little step in this journey so well. Uh, And it's really the the person that kept me interested in this movie because I found Andy Griffith's performance to be extremely one note and off-putting. I did not like this guy ever in the entire movie. I hated him.
1: Mm -mm. Yeah, I don't know if you're supposed to. (laughs) Yeah, it's not really... I don't really take likability into the equation when I think about a character like this who's yeah he's he's just completely driven by ambition and he doesn't care what he does to the people in his life and yeah you don't really sympathize with him but he is kind of like the stand in figure for all like demagogues and folksy swindlers, you know, just every sort of politician or entertainer or, or whoever that has ever like come to prominence by kind of duping the working class into thinking that they speak for you. And uh, I don't know who, I don't know if we need to get into like the, the, parallels to so many i mean like obviously you can compare him to trump but like also you could compare him to ronald reagan who's also like an entertainer turned politician same with george w bush this guy that everybody wants to have a beer with but he's this desk the fucking former president it's just a thing that seems to keep repeating itself for some reason Mm -hmm. And it's kind of crazy that this movie predicts that in a way. I mean, obviously there had there'd been entertainers like that before, um, but this is like three years before the the Kennedy-Nixon debates where you see that television can have this huge impact mm-hmm. on people's opinions of public figures in a way that no other medium really has. I don't know. I just think it's kind of crazy how sort of prophetic the movie is which might explain why at the time no one was really sure what to do with it because television was this new thing and it was just like it's just this wacky gadget you put in your (laughs) put in your living room i don't know it seems cool but schulberg seemed to like immediately gravitate towards people that could take advantage of it Mm -hmm. which is interesting
0: Wait, Sean, so did you like the Andy Griffith performance or did you not like it? I didn't
1: even like the performance. You didn't
0: like the performance? Hmm. Though I'll admit it's one note. I love the performance. It's so much energy. I don't never I don't know if I've ever seen an actor bring that much energy to a scene. Yeah. Like I was reading like that he'd like get Like chairs and shit to break before they'd start filming it. Like he's fucking screaming and like the the, like when he's doing his songs, like if you can even call them songs. It's just like this is like him playing like Alex Jones in the fifties, and it's so crazy to think about Andy Griffith, who this guy who I know from like Matlock and just being like this nice old man and being on the Andy Griffith show is like this insane dude in this movie Mm -hmm. in the fifties. It's like if I found out Don Knotts was in like a biker movie in the fifties. <laughs> Get out of my town, you jackass! You know, is yeah. fucking breaking shit. I love it. Yeah.
2: I no, I was literally like you said. It's it's a ton of energy, and I just found it exhausting to sit through. Hmm. He, he yells. I was impressed. He yells was like, wow, every. Just keeps life. doing. Yeah, it. yeah, I'm impressed. He keeps doing. That, Like it's hard to yell <laughs> that long. I don't, he know, has if, his little yeah, I don't know if
1: he yells every line. Like he pretty much yells every line where he's on camera or on the radio. But you have the quieter scenes between him and Patricia Neal, or when he's like, meeting his the,
0: uh, his future wife. Yeah, and I that like. kind of
1: comes into play. There's a scene late in the film where he's saying like, "I didn't want to marry you because I was, like, I was afraid." Basically, and that there's a little bit of vulnerability to the character. I think in in some scenes, even though, yeah, he's a lot of He's a lot, <laughs> in general. Do you
0: think actually learn how to play his guitar?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think uh, Andy Griffith was a, a bit of a musician. Oh, really? Not sounded like he wasn't really an actor. He was more of like a. Hmm a comedic mo- monologist. Oh, okay. a what? <laughs> well, basically a stand-up, but okay. I keep reading that he was a monologist. I've he never did heard monologues. Of that term. Oh, okay. You know like uh what's his name? spaulding Gray, I guess. But funny. That just sounded like stand-up to me, but whatever. Okay. Um I can't remember what the story was behind how Kazan found him. I think he had done a few uh Broadway productions that were, were Sort of successful and I'm guessing they they were looking For a guy who was Folksy and I don't imagine that was That easy to find in You know either LA or New York Yeah but,
0: what a find Cause he's not like a traditionally Handsome guy he's kind of goofy Looking he looks <laughs> big he's got the curly Hair it's not Someone you'd I would expect to star In this kind of movie at this period Of time yeah. so Man, what if I... I'm surprised it's not a more celebrated performance. Maybe that has to do with the fact that the movie wasn't really that significant a hit or anything. Yeah. Like I was looking at it before, like it didn't win any awards or be no, nominated no for anything. No Oscar nomination, Which is pretty surprising watching it now because it seems so ahead of its time in terms of the subject matter and the kinds of performances that
1: are in it. Yeah. And yeah, because it wasn't a hit and I don't i remember he he did like one movie after this i think it was called onion head which was also not a hit and so after that like his movie career was basically over uh he was put in movie jail as 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 they say and then you know when 1960 rolls around and he gets cast on the Andy Griffith Show, and that's kind of he got cast his in the Andy
2: Griffith Show. I mean, we need someone to play Andy Griffith.
1: He was, he was perfect for the role. Like, you won't believe who's who's auditioning for the Andy Griffith Show.
2: I the only thing I've ever seen from the Andy Griffith Show is that time he's it's like you see on YouTube a bunch where he's like talking about I don't carry a gun because. I want people to trust me. I want them to respect me, not the gun.
0: It's weird that he kind of, Andrew Griffith kind of remained the face of folksiness just in a different kind of way. He went from angry folksiness to mellow folksiness (laughs) over the course of just a few years. You know, we haven't mentioned Walter Matthau is also in this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He is like 32 and he looks like he's like 60 years
1: old. (laughs) Really? Yeah, this might be the earliest time I've ever seen Walter out a movie and he, he still has like a like a world weariness to him which makes sense for this character he's a TV writer who works on um, Lonesome Rhodes' show and he, he definitely seems like a stand in for Bud Schulberg basically <laughs> just this writer type guy who's skeptical of, of a performer with this much zeal uh yeah, he's kind of just lurking in the background, but he's he's a good, I guess, audience surrogate. But I suppose Patricia Neal is kind of
2: that too. Um, well, she he's acting as her conscience. You know, she, he's putting into words the turmoil that she's going through by you know. being a Sean surrogate and just being like, "Fuck lonesome roads. We need <laughs> to stop this guy." A Sean surrogate.
1: I guess the only other thing a a really like about this movie is that you don't see a ton of black and white sort of widescreen films from this era like everybody kind of transitioned to color or
2: because of television yeah
1: because of television and so movies were like well we need to we need to outdo television by you know giving audiences color movies and cinaraba and 3d movies and all these gimmicks but seeing like a starkly shot character piece you know that's still a studio production but you know has this sort of moody look to it um like there's a yeah there's a little bit of like a contrasting noir thing in a few scenes especially the last scene where um Patricia Neal's character is, you know, she, she's in the control room showing what what Lonesome Roads really is by flipping the dials, and you actually hear him while the credits are rolling saying, "Like uh, all, the, all the people watching this, are idiots. You, you dumb dummies." Mm-hmm. I don't know what the exact dialogue is, but that that's shot in a really kind of striking way. Which also, this film in general is a lot more sort of dynamic and cinematic than the other Ilya Kazan movies I've seen because a lot of his movies like especially A Streetcar Named Desire it it, it feels like a play adaptation. Yeah. Like, and that's fine because the performances are really good and the and the material is, but this one it, it has you know a little bit more showy cinematography. The editing is a little more dynamic especially in like the advertising mm-hmm you know scenes and all that stuff this movie to me feels a little like a trilogy with two other movies made in this (laughs) decade um sweet smell of success which came out the same year and then billy wilder's ace in the hole which came out in 1951 three movies that very cynical (laughs) Mm -hmm. all about the media and all have zero academy award nominations combined (laughs) like great films that i love but like audiences just didn't know what to do with at the time um which also i guess is sort of connected to how like film noir was a genre that didn't get a ton of like awards recognition and i don't know that A lot of them were huge hits with audiences though they they must have been to a certain extent at least a few like maltese falcon and Double indemnity and stuff but it's a genre that you know captures the darker side of american life which a movie like this also does which is why i really like the 50s as a a, just a decade of american films because you have you know a lot of directors actors coming back from world war ii you have the studio system in place that's this well-oiled machine, but writers and directors are taking on sort of darker, more complex subjects. Um,
2: and it's like, it kind of seems like, I mean, super dark compared to American films that come later, but I, I think if you view it in the context of the world, like compared to what's going on in Italy and France at this point,
1: mm-hmm.
2: they're like actually pretty up- upbeat because usually like people get to come up and set the end of American movies from the fifties at least yeah
0: <laughs> you know why these films didn't win awards why because they didn't have gentlemen agreeing in them <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's true too much too much fighting between the, yeah. the gentlemen in, in these movies <laughs> there's two there's two more
0: things i want to talk about okay. uh some very we didn't touch on this some very impressive baton twirling in this movie yes when you're talking about the um how there's like some of the other kazan films felt more like play adaptations
1: mm-hmm.
0: and this one's kind of a departure i immediately thought about that welcome home celebration for lonesome in in arkansas where he's from where they have like that huge like almost like a parade form. there's like a marching band all these people yeah. and baton twirling and it's like you just had like when you want to do that in a movie back then you just had to do it for real <laughs> so they'd have like thousands of extras and then all these, these women competing for like Miss Arkansas or whatever just do this fantastic baton twirling bit. Including the woman that he goes on to marry, who's played by Lee Remick, who I guess actually learned some baton stuff. And that's a pretty amazing sequence. She looks like she does what she's doing. Yeah. I mean, it's cut really well. I was like, how are they going to do it? Because I, I, like, I saw her like waiting to go. And I was like, she's, she's not like, these are like pros. This is like an actress. Like how? <laughs> but the edit is seamless. Yeah, Fantastic. And the other thing, um, I'm sure we will touch on those. We gotta touch on the end of this movie, which is pretty striking.
1: Which part of it? Of the end? Yeah. Do you mean like the part where he gets found out, or the part where he's just in his apartment alone? That part. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty great. because he has, he, has an, he has like an applause machine yes that's right they introduce it earlier in the film that they've invented this the and it's weird because it
0: can do so much and you like yeah yeah and you're like oh it does it does it all man yeah is that a real invention or is that just for this movie i
1: mean i'm sure it was something invented I'd, I'd later you know you hear about shows that have fake laugh tracks on it why not
0: and he's like off in his high rise like just proclaim this stuff and yelling this stuff, and there's like a
1: dude operating it, like yeah. making it
0: laugh. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, creepy. It's
1: Yeah, it's really unsettling, because he's gotten to this point where he has to have people loving him. He has to have this attention. And when that's all gone, it's just pathetic. But there's also that speech that Walter Matthau kind of gives to him, which is kind of kind of smart where he's saying like you'll be back someday maybe you won't be as big but you'll be on television and people will ask hey how come you're not as big as you used to be but you, you'll get a second chance because you know america loves second chances
0: they named a mountain after him i think he'll get a second chance yeah, yeah.
2: that part is crazy they named a like mountain. a ship
0: after him and a freaking mountain <laughs> what was that mountain called before like, when is a mountain named after a famous, like, pop culture figure? Is there going to be a Keanu Reeves mountain <laughs> coming up?
2: I mean, we can only hope. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's just funny. Uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's a pretty great ending. Because it's like he's,
0: like, yelling and screaming and Patricia uh, Neal is leaving... And then it just like That's how it ends
2: Like you get the end The end Of the screen It's like wow That's dark man I remember noting at the time Like the music Doesn't even swell up She like She gets in a cab And they drive away And the movie just ends Yeah That's just his life now Yeah But He'll be back I think I think maybe Walter has like He doesn't seem like The Connor guy Would kill himself
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's Great And also Very Trumpy Yeah <laughs> No matter how miserable he is being president he'll he'll never kill himself he, de- he loves himself too much
2: mm-hmm. you don't kill the best person in the world exactly um all right anything else we need to
1: talk about
0: if lonesome Rhodes was a celebrity today how do you in what form or shape do you think he'd be popular
1: Oh, definitely. Info Wars. Info
0: was <laughs> I was like, is he going to be like a YouTube star? Would he be like a politician? He's Joe Rogan. He's
1: <laughs> Joe <laughs> Rogan.
0: <laughs> yeah, he is. I feel
1: like Joe Rogan's a bit more laid back,
0: though. <laughs> he's a way more... He's uh, G- Joe Rogan if he didn't make any sense. Which is the
2: same thing. Oh, oh. I mean, yeah, Alex Jones leaves mine too, but he, like, I guess he's already just had the fall. He's done the full arc already. Mm-hmm love it but I I I stand by Joe Rogan because Joe Rogan went from being goofy entertainer to now this like sort of political figure yeah
1: oh and I guess well I don't know if we did (laughs) like when we were watching the movie or you said this reminds me a lot of network and it it is very proto network which makes sense why I like this movie quite a bit because network's maybe my favorite movie ever and it is interesting to compare the two where they're both kind of on separate ends of, of television becoming like unanimous in, in the U S it's just in every, every home. I guess it was on the way I, I would say when this movie came out, but this is more kind of predicting what television could be and network, are just saying like, yeah, it, it is this way or or it definitely could be this way i guess it wasn't that way in the 70s um but network's also more about the people behind the scenes exploiting the the guy's success rather than himself exploiting his own success and that's
2: uh yeah but they they have that commonality in that what the public responds to is seemingly this off-the-cuff we're, break, we're bucking all the trends, we're giving the people what they really want, even though our corporate overlords hate it. The and guy like, telling
1: it like it is.
2: And then in secret, in both cases, corporations are all about it. And specifically, in this case, like even the guy is all about it. He's just like, He just thinks I'm everyone's a sucker. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I feel the same way about Network. I think that guy's just kind of nuts.
1: Yeah. And, and there is... That element of William Holden's character being, like, afraid that his friend is just having a mental breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Lonesome Roads seems to be completely in control of yeah. what he's doing. And, he's, and he knows saying... what he's doing.
2: It's funny also because everyone talks about how the network was so ahead of its time. And this is a movie, it must be, what, 20 years before
1: that? Yeah, 19
2: um but yeah i i I was hard on the main character but like really the patricia Neal character saved it for me i liked this movie Mm -hmm. um i I think i gave it four stars on letterboxd
1: wow me
0: too Wow.
1: i gave it five i really like this movie uh should we get to
2: next episode's pick next episode's pick um so did not go in the way you go about picking things uh, I actually picked something that I'm guessing one or both of you guys will like more than I do and I'm pretty sure none of us have seen um, I was looking through HBO Go for what's available right now I found a movie from the 80's starring an actor we'd always kind of wanted to do a a film marathon around and i think this is around where we would begin that film marathon that actor is william hurt the film is body heat Ah. so i'm keeping us in the film noir realm i've I've seen it you've seen it but it's been
1: quite a long time it's been probably 10 years since i've seen it so i'm down to watch it again
2: yeah (laughs) all right Did did you like it I remember liking it. Good, because everybody else likes it on the internet. It's got Ted Dancing out. Nice. I haven't seen it. So this will be fun. Great. So I hope you guys look forward to our thoughtful discussion of neo noir, erotic thriller, body heat. It's going to be so sexy. So sexy. (laughs) Our sexiest conversation yet. (laughs) Yep.
1: All right. Well, that's our episode. If you want to read our reviews, go to mildlypleased.com. We've got some other podcasts on iTunes under Mildly Pleased. And just, just, just don't, don't be an asshole. <laughs> that, yeah. We'll, don't. Hey. Huh? Don't. There you go. Okay. We'll see you next time. A face in the crowd. But the face in the crack